the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Chalcedon Report Number 123, November 1975 The origins of socialism in the modern world are deeply rooted in Oriental thought, in Hinduism and Buddhism in particular. With the Enlightenment, modern man began to show great interest in Far Eastern thought because he believed that he found therein the natural religion he felt was basic to all men. Few people today appreciate the extent to which 18th century man was interested in India and especially China. This interest led to the very extensive work in the 19th century by Frederick Max Muller and others in translating and interpreting the philosophies of the Far East. The idea of natural religion died, but what remained from these studies was the essential relativism of Far Eastern philosophy. Because of the despair of truth, these philosophies insisted on the meaninglessness of standards and values, discriminations and distinctions, and the ultimate oneness of all things. Whereas Christianity established distinctions and requires a division between God and sin, good and evil, the saved and the lost, Matthew 10, 34-35. Buddhism, for example, works to overcome divisions. Kuan Yin, the Chinese goddess of mercy, was held to affirm that she could not enter paradise as long as any human beings were excluded. Never will I receive individual salvation, she is supposed to affirm, and stands outside the gates of heaven waiting for the last man to come in. Kuan Yin was very popular with Western liberals and Unitarian leaders like M. D. Conway in the 19th century made much of her equalitarian creed. Their point was well taken. If biblical faith is not true, then the total inclusiveness and equalitarianism of Kuan Yin is the logical faith. All things being relative and equally meaningless, they are also equally meaningful if we give them any relative meaning or value. It is thus easy to see why, in their rebellion against Christianity, modern men, from the 18th century to the present, have been so intensely interested in Oriental religions and philosophies. Some of them have sounded like children of Kuan Yin, so faithfully have they reproduced her philosophy. Thus the socialist leader of U.S. World War I days, Eugene Debs, thrilled the American gurus and faithful with his passionate equalitarianism. Called the Billy Sunday of Socialism, Debs would affirm his faith with intense fervor. While there is a lower class, I am of it. 
While there is a soul in prison, I am not free. This is a denial of the validity of criminal law. It means all men and all acts are equal. Debs did not go that far, but men since then have done so, and the result is the progressive defense and vindication of the criminal, and the reduction and disarming of the law-abiding. In July 1975, Doris L. Dolan, founder and president of Citizens for Law Enforcement Needs, a California-based organization, declared, Crime is caused by criminals, and we, as law-abiding citizens, have the absolute right to be free of the criminal element. I am broken-hearted about the things I have witnessed and learned over these past ten years of citizen involvement in the workings of the judiciary system. Our organization has files bulging with statistics on criminal activities and reasons why crime has reached epidemic proportions as recorded today. We have determined that a majority of the United States Supreme Court members, as well as a California Supreme Court majority and some legislators, do not understand the right of the citizen to be free of the criminal element. They understand nothing but the right of the criminal. The News, Van News, California, Sunday, July 25, 1975, page 25A. This situation should not surprise us, because biblical faith and law have been undermined. Modern man tends increasingly to view things with the eyes of Kuan Yin rather than Christ, equalizing good and evil rather than establishing justice and stamping out evil. Meanwhile, as socialism is imported to the Far East, it is readily accepted because, however much westernized, it is simply the logical development of Far Eastern philosophies. Socialism will prevail in the East and West alike until its underlying relativism is rejected in favor of biblical faith. The answers thus are not to be found in the ballot box. Ballots simply express the minds and faiths of men. The problem is in essence religious. We can summarize it as Kuan Yin or Christ. Are all things relative? Or is there an absolute God with an unchanging word? How we answer this question will determine our lives and our politics. If we deny God's justice and law, we must eventually accept Kuan Yin's democracy of good and evil. Kuan Yin supposedly cannot and will not enter paradise until every last man is included. How beautiful this sounds to our modern sentimental relativist. However, when every last man enters, it will not be paradise, but hell. Meanwhile, the application of this Kuan Yin principle is turning earth into hell. It denies justice, demolishes law, and by mercy to the vicious, is merciless to the law-abiding. The rot of relativism cannot be eliminated by ballots and laws. It requires a return to biblical faith, regeneration in Christ, and a society established on God's law. There is no substitute for the truth. Calcedon Report number 124, December 1975. Alexander Dolgan's story, An American in the Gulag, New York, not 1975, reports a fact referred to by many prisoners of Marxist regimes. On trying to correct blatant misrepresentations by his inquisitor, Dolgan was told, You say we have made a mistake. I tell you, we never make mistakes. Page 18. 
We cannot grasp the direction of modern statism unless we recognize that this declaration openly stated by Marxism is basic to all humanistic statism. Humanistic sociology, since Comte, has denied the validity to modern man of the idea of meaning. Meaning belongs, it is held, to the old world of religion and myth, and to the more recent but now dead world of philosophy and the metaphysical quest for understanding. In the new era, there must be no concern with meaning. Man's society must not be religious, but technological. Things must be judged, not in terms of good and evil, but in terms of utility and pragmatism. All things are relative to the purposes of society. If society, redefined as the state, says that you and I are better off for the general welfare in a prison camp, there is then no mistake, because there can be no standard or criterion above the actions of the state to judge it. Meaning is declared dead and therefore good and evil are non-existent as anything beyond and over the state. Modern art has adopted this same faith. As a result, it renounces all objective meaning and protest against it. We are told that we must not ask of any work of art, what does this mean? But rather, what personal or social experience does it evoke in me? There can thus be no lasting works of art, in terms of this theory, but purely contemporary ones. The art world is thus moving towards a theory of disposable art, which, like paper tissue, is to be used when needed and then discarded. But in such a world all meaning is denied, and therefore man too is disposable. Man is there to be used by the state when needed and then promptly discarded. Alexander I. Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago, 1918-1956, New York, Harper & Row, 1973, is really telling us about the Marxist application of this modern theory, the doctrine of disposable man. If people were needed for a new construction plan in Siberia or elsewhere, as much as one-fourth of Leningrad was arrested and transported to the slave labor camps, pages 13 and 58. The people were impotent in the face of this. They tried to find the meaning of their arrest, but there was no meaning. There was only pragmatism, utility, and terror. Since Darwin, meaning is dead in the modern world, and with it, all ideas of good and evil. This is the same as proclaiming the death of man, because man cannot live without meaning. All attempts to cope with the growing collapse of the modern age are futile because there is nothing in humanism and the doctrine of evolution which makes possible a restoration of cosmic meaning. As a result, man becomes more lawless, anarchistic, and senseless as he accepts the modern worldview's picture of himself. He becomes in his own eyes only a meaningless bundle of urges and drives seeking existential satisfaction. Disposable man then lashes out at the world and civilization around him. If man is disposable, then all things else must be made disposable and must be smashed. As against all this, St. John declares of Christ, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. John 1, 3-4 
not disposable man, but religious man, not a meaningless world, but a universe of total meaning. This is the teaching of Scripture and the reality of the cosmos. Because all things were made by Him, all things being totally the handiwork of an absolute and perfect purpose and decree have a total meaning. There is not a meaningless nor a disposable fact in the universe. Everything has meaning. God's meaning in the direction of all things is neither death nor meaninglessness, but the triumph of God's glorious purpose and plan. The doctrine of disposable man is suicidal, and the art and culture of such a doctrine races into disaster and death. It has no future. The idea of a future belongs to the world of meaning, purpose, and direction. For this reason, humanism and its age of the state is doomed. It builds on sand and, creating its own storms of judgment, collapses under the storms. Only men and civilizations which build on the rock Jesus Christ can endure. Matthew seven twenty four through 29 As men become more epistemologically self-conscious, the only possible post-Christian culture is the graveyard. Because culture is a religious fact and presupposes faith, meaning, purpose, and direction. Thus, as the old pagan forms of humanism erode, the only possible form of civilization and culture is increasingly manifest. It can only be a Christian culture, one firmly rooted in the whole counsel of God and His law word. If you are not working to reconstruct all things in terms of the word of God, you are headed for the graveyard of history and God's judgment. Chalcedon Report number 125, January 1976 The struggle to command history is an intense one in our day, with a variety of groups contending for mastery, some essentially political in organization and others religious. This struggle for power in history is the attempt by men to impose their ideas and plans onto history and to redirect the world in terms of their purposes. There are two aspects to history that men can neglect only at the risk of becoming a failure in history. These are permanence and change. By permanence, we mean those standards and values which are eternal in nature and absolute, God-given and unchanging. Direction and meaning are given to history by the absolutes which govern it. God is the Lord of history, and the Maker of all things alone can give an unchanging and absolute law to it. Change as reference to development and program within history. Change is possible because permanence is basic to it. In example, there are standards and absolutes which require that men and nations repent, grow, develop, and mature. To deny either permanence or change is to become eventually irrelevant to history. Old China once was ahead of the West but its acceptance of total relativism meant a denial that absolutes exist. Taoism and Confucianism and later Buddhism denied absolutes and all permanence. In so doing, they made change meaningless because there was then no standard which required change. As a result, Chinese civilization stagnated, except where conquerors briefly imposed their will on it. Relativism destroyed the meaning of both permanence and change. In the Western world, the church has too often been infected by Neoplatonism and has not seen the necessity of change and has stressed essentially permanence. 
The result of such faith has been to make the church irrelevant. The same has been true too often of political conservatives. They have stressed permanence and resisted change. Moreover, their idea of permanence has been commonly defective, humanistic rather than godly. By permanence, they have been prone to mean simply the world up to yesterday, not the Lord and His Word. Liberals and radicals, political and religious, have stressed change, and this has given them a great advantage in capturing the mind and imagination of youth. The idealism of youth and its dissatisfaction with accepted evils leads it to an uncritical demand for change, and the result is a boon to the prophets of change. Since change is inevitable, the champions of change come to believe in the inevitability of their doctrine of change, an entirely different matter. Moreover, change is mistakenly identified with progress, whereas some changes are an obstacle to progress. Furthermore, faith in change breaks down when a society loses its trust in absolutes. Nothing then has meaning, and change and permanence are alike meaningless and empty concepts. Biblical faith alone does justice to both permanence and change. It declares the triune God to be the sole and absolute source of all true law, interpretation, and meaning. It is He who creates, predestines, and governs all creation and history. Change is required by His Word. First, man must subdue the earth and exercise dominion over it under God and in terms of His Word. Genesis 1, 26-28 This requires change, development, and growth. Second, His Word requires change within ourselves since we are fallen creatures and cannot put our creation mandate properly into force apart from His regenerating power. Change is thus required of both man and his world in terms of God's law and calling. Only biblical faith does justice to history's requirements for permanence and change. The duty of the Christian is thus to know and understand the word of permanence, God's word, and to apply its requirements of change to himself and the world and to every area and aspect of thereof. This means godly reconstruction. Non-Christian thought cannot do justice to history. It can only prevail for a time where the church defaults and defects from biblical faith. In our time, in particular, political and religious groups are increasingly incompetent in their grasp of history, in their defective views of permanence and change. Having forsaken God, they have forsaken the command of history, and the result is our growing collapse and the rudderless drift of the nation's from one crisis into another. Men do not command history now, but are more and more commanded by it. The mood of men becomes one of irrelevance and impotence. Instead of God's dominion man, we have instead our modern disposable man, whose function is trifling and whose life is readily dispensable. God did not make man to be disposable. The idea of disposable man is a human creation and a deadly one. God created man in his own image to be the Lord of creation under God, to exercise dominion. Man was given a state and calling and made the crown of creation. God made man the necessary point in history, the bearer of God's plan, and he made the incarnation a means of recalling and regenerating man in terms of his purpose and plan. The future, then, cannot be in doubt. 
dominion man will prevail over disposable man. The issue then is us. Which man are we? Disposable man or dominion man? Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had by his pain, the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life.
We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.